0: I like to read a very, very, I would say, I think every night I say this, a very famous verse. But this is a very famous verse. It's found in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 8. We're going to read verse 36, Mark chapter 8 and verse 36. If you turn to the New Testament side of your Bible, uh, to the right side, you're going to see Matthew. And right after that comes the book of Mark. Um, you find that Mark chapter 8 and verse 36. Mark 8 and verse 36. This is what the verse says. And remember, these are the words of the Lord Jesus. This is what the Lord Jesus says. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? We'll read those one more time. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So tonight, I'd like to just place over my message uh, a very simple title, as it were, to the message, uh, just uh, as it were, to give you something to hang your thoughts on. I just want to speak tonight and maybe another question to ask you, what would you give? What would you give? Uh, That's what we're asked here when it comes to this. You know, the Lord Jesus was known to ask questions to people. That was a common way in which he uh, talked to them. And when you go through Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, His most popular question was this, what do you want? What do you want? He he asked that to people across the spectrum of society. And he asked that to people with all different backgrounds, all different economic status, religious affiliations. He just said to them simply, he said, what is it that you want? And you imagine that there they sat with an opportunity of the very man who could meet any single one of their desires, and he left it open-ended. What do you want? And you'd say, what a, what a bold statement to make. And yet we read him here tonight asking this question. He says this, what would you give? What would you give? We, we, we read this question and you say, we live in a society and people know the price of everything. We, we, we attribute that to Amazon now. Anyone can tell you, you look at someone's glasses, you, we can look at some of the hats here and some are wearing the same one. We could say, I know the price of that, right? Someone's car, they, a guy drove up here tonight night in a vet and right away in my mind, I knew, I knew how much it cost, right? We know the price of everything, but we know the value of nothing. I was reminded that on the, the 4th of July, I'm a, I'm a diabetic, um, hereditary, someone gave it to me. Um, and, uh. And you'd say, uh, there I was coming out of the 4th of July fireworks in Ridgewood, and and, uh, I I couldn't have told you my middle name, let alone my last name, and one leg wasn't going in front of the other. Uh, And it was my cousin, bless her heart, who pulled out from her purse uh, an expired bag of Sour Patch Kids. And you'd say, how much? How much would those go for? A dollar? I don't know. From last Halloween, maybe 50 cents? Uh, And yet the value of them uh, brought me back. Brought me back. It saved me an ambulance right down the valley, which would have cost me another $3,000. So in my books, value was very high. You say the price, everyone knows the price, but the value, it's different. When we look at those two things, you say just, just the fact of that. And when we look at the Lord Jesus Christ, when, we're, when we look at him, we can't forget that. That when we look at value and price, and just here, he asks, what would you give? Because when we look at our own lives, I was reminded, and I've been I've, I've been stating this recently. Ever since I read it, I, it uh, they, they, tell, they tell us now that within three generations we will be forgotten. You often ask people, say, tell me something about your father, and you can write down a, a good amount. And uh, tell me something about your grandfather, and you can write down a little bit more. Tell me something about your great grandfather, and you you have a hard time filling an index card sometimes. Just three generations, and you say you're you're done, and you say. Where's the value of that person? You'd say, just a short time and we have nothing. Nothing, we don't remember anything about them. You say, why would I ever preach about the Lord Jesus Christ tonight? Why bring him up? Well, because for the past 1,985 years, we've been speaking about him. You say, that's, that's remarkable. We often say 2,000, but that's wrong math, right? For the past 1,985 years, we have been speaking about Jesus Christ, and you'd say, well, Dave, uh, you know, we've been speaking about other great men. We, we've been talking about Alexander for just as long, the great, and, and we've been speaking about different popes for just as long. You wanna know what the remarkable thing is? And don't forget this. Not only have we been speaking about Jesus Christ for the past almost 2,000 years, but 2,000 years before he was ever born, they were talking about him. 2,000 years before he was ever born. Tell me another man like that. Tell me someone else like that. And when it come to those 33 years that he lived on this earth, you'd say, did anyone ever attach a price to him? They did. They betrayed him for the price of a slave, 30 pieces of silver. They put a price tag on him. And you say, what's his value? I would ask you tonight, what is his value? Is it safe to say that his value is found maybe more so in what his statue is decorated with, whether it's gold or silver and whatever place you choose to worship? And yet you have never realized that we were not purchased with gold or silver. We were purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. His value to me is this. And I would speak on behalf of a number of other people in this tent and a number of other people in this state and millions of other people on this earth that my passport to heaven has been guaranteed because Christ took my place at Calvary. And I would offer the same thing to you. No, no, let me take that back. God offers the same thing to you. And he says, what would you give? What would you give? To know the price, you'd say, to know the price of something, but yet to forget its value. And so the writer starts here and he says, what would you give? We often say, and I've heard men say, uh, he sold his soul to, they'll say they sold his soul to the devil or, or someone who has just lost all purpose in life. They say he sold his soul. You know, the, the Bible makes it clear right here. No one sells anything without knowing what they're getting in return. The Bible says, what would you give? What would you give for your soul? You determine the price. I'm so happy to tell you tonight that God is by far the highest bidder for your soul. No one, no one, no no one will outbid him. But you must accept the offer. And yet we're so so contemplative as to what we would give for our souls and and the value, the value and the price, they they mix up and we say, I just don't know how to determine it. Uh, If I could gain the whole world, To gain everything, to gain the whole world. I was uh, reminded recently, uh, when I think about the world, the busiest bridge in the whole world, just 18 miles down the road here, the George Washington Bridge. I bike across it. You say, why? Because it's free, right? You could walk across it too, for free. It's free, No, not a dollar. I, I commuted across that bridge for five years and they robbed me blind, right? And you'd say you were lucky to get a free pass on the way home coming out of the city. But no, every day. And and I was reminded recently by someone who told me when they built that bridge during the Depression, it only cost them $60 million. You say, oh, I long for those days, right? I would long to be able to do something like that for $60 million. You say, unbelievable. Do you know that they collect that much in tolls in just three weeks now? Just three weeks. $60 million in the bank. You say, what are they doing with it? I don't know. You ask the Port Authority, what are they doing with it? But I'm reminded of this. As I go across that bridge on my bike and you can feel it. You can feel it pulsate and bounce and just the, the ma- how massive it is. And you wonder how old it is. And I feel the same thing on other bridges, but that being the busiest, and I think 60 million, I think every day close to $3 million collected in tolls here. And then I'm reminded of something else because as soon as I come through the little guard booth there, as you go around, I see a sign that says this, life is worth living. Why? Because every four days, someone attempts suicide on that bridge every four days. Last year, over 25 people took their lives on that bridge. And you'd say, what is $60 million? What is $3 million in a day if someone loses their soul? You say, Dave, that's not, that's not me tonight, Dave. You say, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty content. You say, life is good. Um, it's not only a bumper sticker, but it's a it's a, an actual feeling that I have. I, I I take it that what I've accomplished so far, what I got so far, is leading me right. And you say, life is good. And, and, and if I had to answer your question tonight, Dave, what would I give? I just really am thankful for what has been given to me, all that I have. And yet when I come to this Bible, the Bible says, is life worth living? And it asks you the question, what would you give? And your answer... What happens if your answer, if you can't bring it past the grave? If your life is worth living because of family, which is a great, is a great thing. Oh, oh, that we would have more fathers and mothers that would say life is worth living because of my children. Oh, that we would have more kids that would say life is worth living because of my parents, because of my heritage, because of the way I was brought up. We'd say that would add so much dignity, so much more value to our society if that were the case. But my friend... The Bible says, the Bible says that without Jesus Christ, life is meaningless. Life has no value. I say the Bible says because even as the words leave my mouth, I feel like I've somehow said something that just is so crass and, and something that just kind of It hits the ears and it it affects them. The Bible tells me that when someone gets saved, they're saved from an empty life. Is life worth living? And you might say, yes, it is. And I would ask you this. It's only worth living if what it's worth living for is something you bring past the tomb. Because here, he talks about the whole world the whole world, to gain the whole world. And you say, that's an exaggeration. No one could gain the whole world. You know, it's almost as though sometimes he just pours everything in and the Lord Jesus says, you know what? Take it all. Take everything. And you'd say, maybe he was just using hyperbole. Maybe he was just, he was trying to prove a point by using the whole world. I don't think so. I don't think so because the same, (laughs) the same savior and another gospel says that God loved The whole world the world everyone it's the same same book that tells us that that writer goes on to say at the end of the bible that christ he satisfied god at calvary because he gave himself for the whole world's sins every single one of them and you say you don't believe that Listen, I could close my eyes and point to anybody in the tent tonight and say that Christ died for you. The unfortunate fact is that there are people sitting in the tent tonight that want something else. And yet I would say, what would you give? What would you give? What would you give here? Because you say to get the whole world to have it all. And you know what happens every once in a while? They don't report the people taking their life on the bridge. They don't do it because they don't want copycats. They don't want people to impersonate it. It never gets reported. That might be news to you tonight, but they never talk about that because they don't want anyone else to get the idea. They have the signs up. Life is worth living, but they don't report it when it happens. You know what they do report? It's all over in the news when someone who had everything took their own life. We've been reminded in the past couple months, people who reached the apex of their game. It was the famous chef, Mr. Bourdain. Or what about the, uh, the woman's purse maker, Kate Spade? They had everything that you could ever dream of having. And if you asked them, what would you give? It obviously it wasn't enough. They once interviewed Tom Brady, five-time Super Bowl winner. married to a supermodel. Wonderful looking kids everything you could want. An interview, he said these words, there must be something else. There must be something more. So when people have the whole world, why are they still asking for more? Why is it it never satisfies? Why is it like a carrot that's being dangled in front of me? Why is it like salt water that once I taste it, I need more and yet it makes me more thirsty? Why is it? What would you give? What would you give? The Bible comes down and it says, what would you give the soul so valuable? You say, why is the soul so valuable? If I could gain the whole world and lose it, you'd say, it must be valuable. That exchange makes it so valuable. What is it that gives it that value? I remember flying with my my uncle in a very insignificant aircraft. And yet when he would phone into air traffic control, he would always say, there's Six souls on board, or if it was just my brothers and him, there's five souls on board. And he would always use that. And we always loved asking him because he would always tell it to us, kind of like a gospel message. We would say, Why do you use souls? And he goes, Because that's the best way to describe people who are still living. They're souls, they're not bodies. He goes, You could have an airplane and you could have five dead bodies on it coming back, maybe from the Middle East, and maybe they're Marines. He goes, You could have someone who's being taken across. My grandmother died overseas and they brought her back from Ireland on a plane. And when they gave the count of how many souls were on that plane, they didn't count her because she wasn't there. And you say the soul has value, so much value because it lasts forever. It goes on and on. You say it lasts forever. There's so few things that don't expire in life. The word of God being one of them never expires. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever does not expire and yet my soul will last forever and when it comes to this what would i give what would i give for this what would i do you know it's a it's a life just of gaining i could gain this i I, 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 I gain an education. Uh, I, I, sometimes you say, I gain a personality. Some of us didn't. I gain an ego, right? You, you, I, I gain this. Uh, you, you gained a wife. You gained a house. You gained a job. You gained a car. You gained a, a retirement package. You gained a vacation home. You gained children. You gain, and you gain, and you gain. And yet at the end of the life, at the end of life, I like what they said about Alexander the Great. He had gained the whole known world. And yet when he died, he said, make sure my hands are outside the coffin. I want men and women to know that I'm going with nothing. Nothing. You know, hearses don't have U-Haul trailers behind them. You go away, nothing. They once said about, about John Rockefeller, they said, how much did he leave? And the answer came back, everything. He left it all. You can't take it with you. So whatever you gain in this life, whatever I stand to inherit, to gain in this life, Whatever it is, notoriety, nobility, whatever it is that I stand to gain in this life, I'm finally posed with this question. Whatever it is, and whatever it could be, what would I give for my soul? And and the answer from the Lord Jesus Christ, it resounds. It says, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? for the real you. We know the price of everything. Some people have even put away money for the funeral one day. They know how much it'll all cost. They know how much the plot is. They know how much the casket is. They know how much the, the, the services will run. And yet sometimes you realize the value of people when they're gone. We often say you don't know what you had till it's taken away. The Bible says, what would you give? What would you give? I could tell you tonight what God gave. Because sometimes the question leads us down this path. What would I give in exchange for my soul? What? What would I give in exchange for what? And, And every day, day in and day out, it's the what. And many of us have have lived lives like that. Just asking ourselves day after day, what, what? And then for some of us, there was a day in our lives when we realized that there was a who who was given for us. There was a person. A what can't save you. A who can. A what can't buy you. A who can. And so though the verse says, what would it profit you if you gained it all? And you lost your soul. You say, preacher, just tell me, tell me, how does someone not lose their soul? The verse says, "What would a man give in exchange for his soul?" I can tell you what heaven gave for your soul tonight. We often say, "Don't know the," we don't know the value of everything. And and you'd say, "You come time to it," and, and, and when we when we really focus in on it, you'd say, "You know, if it costs nothing, it's worth nothing." And a lot of people answer, they listen to this message tonight. They listen to what we're saying. And they'll say, if it costs nothing, it's worth nothing. It cost heaven everything. Everything. If you could use the illustration of a, of a bank, it was turned upside down and emptied out. If it was a box, its contents were poured out. Because in heaven, they don't use, they don't use gold as currency. They use that as asphalt. Heaven gave a son for you. Heaven gave a son for you, and you would say this, the price of anything is the amount of life that we put into it. There was a man who gave his life at Calvary, and I look over my audience tonight, and I'm looking at people, and I would never venture or dare to speak for you, but I would almost say this is guaranteed. I'm looking at an audience tonight where most people would accept the historical fact that on a Friday afternoon in the year AD 33, there was a man from Nazareth who died on a cross. That's a historical fact. I ask you tonight, this determines the value you place on your own soul. Did he die for you? Because if he did, then that's what your soul's worth. Price has never changed. The the, the price doesn't, it's not not, not like it it goes on sale one day and it, it goes up the next. I know what was given in exchange for my soul. God's son was given in exchange for my soul. The Bible tells me in the Isaiah 53 chapter, it says, God made his son's soul an offering for sin. And Jesus Christ took my place at Calvary, and wherever I read this verse, what would it profit a man if he gains? I realize this, I've just lived the whole life where I've borrowed everything, because one day I'm going to leave it all behind. But I have the one person who takes me past the grave takes me past that time where all we do is stand around and toss flowers at someone who lays six feet under and we say, where is their soul? Don't ask that question when I'm gone. Because I know the value of my soul, because I know what happened at Calvary. When the son of God who loved me gave himself for me, what would it profit a man? What would you give? You must answer that question tonight. This is not, this is not open-ended. This is not something that the Lord Jesus answered because it wasn't his soul, it's your soul. He asks you tonight, what would you give? What would you give? You take your Friday tomorrow, if God grants it to you, and you ask yourself, what would I give? What would I give for a soul? And then just realize who the highest bidder is for your soul it was the one who gave everything. When he gave his son to Calvary, he gave everything and we all know the price that was paid at Calvary. It was a life that was given. Would to God that tonight you would realize the value in it that the man who was given at Calvary, the one who died and three days later rose again. That's what guarantees me that my soul will be in heaven one day and nothing else, nothing else, nothing else. You say, that's not what my religion tells me. Religions one day will expire. The Bible will not. The Bible tells me I was redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. The Bible tells me that the man who died at Calvary died for sinners. And I've never found a more apt way to describe myself. You could know value tonight, untold. You could know worth that is something that could never be taken away from you. We all fear having someone devalue us in life. I present to you tonight the one man who values you far above any other person, Jesus Christ. You could stop asking what you would give and you could realize who was given. Jesus Christ was given for your soul at Calvary, for your sins to save you from a lost and meaningless life, from a lost eternity. He gave himself in order to save you. And you'd say, is that a free offer to anyone? Yes. You say, no, Dave, it can't be free because you said if it's worth nothing, then it costs nothing. If it costs nothing, then it's worth nothing. It costs God everything. If you realize that tonight, you would take Christ as your savior because he is the highest bidder for your soul. And he would love to save someone tonight because of what is written in his word, that Christ receiveth sinners, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, that you would trust him tonight.
1: Would you turn, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. The Gospel of John, chapter 3. And verse 16, John chapter 3 and verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, it's unlikely that you will ever read 25 more important words, so please allow me to read them with you again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You'll see right away that in this verse, the Lord Jesus talks about the world again. Only he's using the same word as we often do with words in two different ways. The world that Mr. Zudema has been telling us about that is infinitely less in value than your soul is the world of things, the world of possessions, the society around you and everything that it offers you. The world in this verse is the world of people of human beings. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, there are many preachers who have spoken about this verse as though it were um A mountaintop in the scriptures, like where the Mount Everest of the Bible, if you will. Actually, I, I think, and maybe this is the simplest way that I could talk about it. I want you to think about four towering truths, four mountain peaks, if you will, in this wonderful verse. I want you to think about God and his love, Christ and his life, the gospel and the lost and this audience and the Lord. Those four things, the Lord Jesus is stating God's love for the world. Now I don't know what you think about God. Hollywood has done a a pretty good job of smearing his name and misrepresenting him, and there are many people who uh, judge. What God must be like when they look around them and see a world in which sin has shattered the lives and happiness of billions of people. But when you come to the Bible and you listen to the words of the Lord Jesus, you learn what God is really like. God is a God of love. God is a God who his interest in you is unwavering and unchanging. And when we read about God's love, the cause of it is God himself. It is because God is love, and as a faithful creator, he is seeking your good, and nothing ever changes that. We're not talking about whether God feels a a warm feeling in his heart toward everybody, no matter how they're living. We're talking about God's settled desire for your well-being, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. What God wants for you is for you to be rescued from your sins and for you to live with him forever in heaven. And the source of all of that is God's heart. We've been hearing already about the character of it. Do you know that God loves everyone? He has no favorites, no pet pupils. Nobody gets special privileges that are not extended to others. God's love is for everyone. There's a man whose uh, writings I very much enjoy. He is a Jewish man who is a Uh, not only an editorialist, but he is a a radio broadcaster in Los Angeles, Dennis Prager. And I don't think I've ever disagreed with anything he has ever written or said, except once. He was talking about the love of God and the Christian concept of God loving everybody. And he said, "I, I, I never, I never learned this in Jewish school. And he said, this idea that God is sort of like a, a dispensing machine that just dispenses his love, depending on whoever puts a coin in, and it doesn't really matter what they're like, and that God loves everyone. He said, I have great trouble accepting that. Well, that, that, I understand why he said that. Because what he was thinking about was what we would call emotional love, what we would call a feeling of uh, a warm feeling towards somebody. God doesn't love wicked men and women because they're wicked. You see, it's not, It's not that God has a warm feeling toward everybody in an equal way. It is that God has an unchanging desire for your good and wants to rescue you from your sins and save you for eternity. As a result of that, the sin and stubbornness that marks so many of us, the morality and personal piety that is either there or lacking, none of that affects God's desire for your well-being. It is love for everyone. And a remarkable thing about the Bible is that it presents to us a God that has love for every one? Every one. I don't know everybody in the tent. I don't I don't know the name of everyone here. I don't have the good fortune, like Mr. Zudima, to be born up here. So I can't say that I know you all and I'm familiar with everything here. But do you know that God knows you personally? And God loves every one of you as if you were the only one there was to love. And what God wants for you is for you to be saved, for you to be born again, for you to get everlasting life, for you to live forever, to have it now and enjoy it through the rest of your life and to live forever with God. And so many, many times the Lord Jesus did exactly that. He focused us in on just one individual to help us understand that while God knows every seven billion plus people on the face of the planet, he knows you. He wants you to be saved. He loves you. And so you remember that the shepherd in Luke 15 that went out after the sheep went out after one lost sheep. Mark chapter one, it is one dying leper. Later on in the Gospel of Mark, you'll find it is one distressed man whose life has been taken over by demonic power. Remember when the Lord Jesus was walking in the crowd that day and our attention is focused on one dying woman who makes her way through the crowd, likely repeating to herself, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, if I could just reach him, if I could just touch, just the touch, just the hem of his garment, one woman. And if you want to see it, Unmistakably, look at Calvary. There's thieves on either side of him. There's one dying man on the edge of eternity who turns to the Lord Jesus and Christ saves him because he has an interest in everyone in the meeting tonight. You may remember reading about, it, and if you're old enough, you may remember when Thor Heyerdahl wanted to prove that um, people could actually have sailed from South America to the Polynesian Islands. And so he constructed his raft, not using anything modern, just as it would have had to have been constructed by people centuries ago. He constructed his raft, the Kantiki, and there were six men that got on board. Thor Heyerdahl and five men got on that raft. They would sail across the Pacific 4,300 miles on a raft. And one thing they noticed very quickly with the sail up and the current carrying them, if something fell overboard, it was gone. There was no way of recovering it. The ship would just keep going. Until one day, one of the sailors fell overboard. His name was Herman. They grabbed the rope very quickly. They threw it to him. The rope couldn't even reach him. He was disappearing. The ship was leaving him. The raft was leaving him in the middle of the Pacific. And one sailor grabbed a line and a life vest, dove into the water, holding the rope, holding the line and the life vest, swam to where Herman was was almost disappearing in the waves, wrapped his arms around him while the rest of them pulled him in. It was just one man, see, one man, but they weren't going to leave him. You say, well, obviously they wouldn't leave him. Obviously, why would God have any interest in me? Why would God have any interest in you? To each of us, we're important, but how important could we ever have been to the great God of eternity? Why should the Lord Jesus ever tell us what is true? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, because you've heard already the cost of it. He would have to give his son. We're not talking about a warm, fuzzy feeling in God's heart. To save you from your sins, God would have to sacrifice his son. To save you from your sins, Christ would have to sacrifice his life. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This was not a matter of God and Christ choosing the lesser of two evils, deciding that, well, one person dying is better than billions of people going to hell. Because I can assure you that there's no one that God loves more than his son. And if you're going to talk about value, you could put the entire human family on one side and put Christ on the other. And to God, there's no comparison. What we're talking about is a matchless design, an incredible plan on the part of God. God and his son agreeing to this. This is how sin would be put away. This is how sinners would be saved. This is how a whole coming universe of bliss would be brought into existence by a man going to a cross Dying in apparent weakness, in a place that seemed to bespeak foolishness, the, 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 the skull hill on which he would die. And yet by that death, by that blood, by that work, he would buy salvation for guilty men and women. He would purchase eternal redemption. And there at Calvary, God, as this verse says, God displayed his love toward us. God was showing How committed he is to your well-being in that he gave his only begotten son. I want you to think about Christ giving his life. It's a very strange expression in our Bible. It was said centuries ago by none other than the devil. He was allowed to speak to God. And after watching human nature at work on this planet, the devil had learned something. And he said to God, skin for skin, all that a man has, he'll give for his life. You, 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 you know that. You know it in the expression that we spend our health getting wealth, and then we'll spend all our wealth to regain health. All that a man has, the devil said, he'll give for his life. If you put a, if, you, if, if you put a man here and you say, now either you give up everything or I kill you, all that a man has, he'll give for his life. And then you come to Calvary, and you had a man who gave all that he had for your life, for you to be saved. And one of the Christians praying before the meeting, asking God to bless you and to bless his word tonight, quoted from Paul's letter to the Corinthians when he said, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became rich poor so that you could become rich all the glory that was his in heaven the majesty the splendor all that was veiled it meant nothing to him and he came here to die he sacrificed himself he suffered for sins he died for the ungodly he died for the guilty he died for sinners there was a woman in canada some years ago a jewish woman and she had many many questions about the afterlife and about where she would be when she died. And she got hold of a Bible, her Bible, the Hebrew Scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. She started at Genesis chapter 1, and she read all the way through the Old Testament to what we call Malachi chapter 4, although the books are arranged differently in the Jewish Bible. They're still the same books. She read the whole of the Old Testament. And when she got to the last chapter and she was finished reading it, the first thing in her mind was this. That's it? It it ends? No, it can't end there. Because you see, what had happened is her reading had raised questions but never gave answers. Her reading had shown her pictures of how to be saved but never showed her how to become saved. Her reading had presented her with prophecies, but no fulfilling of those prophecies. So she snuck in an Old Testament into her house, a New Testament, and she began to read the New Testament. She started in Mark, Matthew chapter 1, and the first thing that struck her was how Jewish it all was. It had to do with Jewish people in the Jewish land, a man who was born a Jew and was the Messiah. And as she began to read, her answers She was finding the answers to her questions. She was watching the prophecies being fulfilled. She was finding what the Bible had to say about the one person in the entire universe who was able to do this great work of redemption, of salvation. There's none of us could ever have done it. All of us combined could never have done it. The one person who could pay for sin. The one person whose infinite value would outweigh the sin of an entire race and the value of every human being was sitting at the right hand of God. And because God loved the world, he gave his son. And because Christ loved you, he gave his life. And now that message is incorporated in a thing in the Bible called the gospel. It literally means good news. It is a message that is extended to the world. Did you notice the word I read? Whosoever believeth in him. Whosoever believeth in him. That word, I hope they never change it. That word that word is like, a, like a, a huge parchment unrolling as if a scroll were unrolled and stretched from pole to pole or from side to side. Whosoever believeth in him. That leaves no one out here. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This message is a message that brings blessing to human beings. We're not trying to get you to join a church or change your religion. We're trying to introduce you to the Lord Jesus and hope you'll trust him as your savior because whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life and if you want to know why the Christians from Midland Park Gospel Hall have put the tent up and have kindly invited us to come and speak it's because they're not having a drive right now for church attendance they're not looking for money there are no collections you know why they're doing it? because they do not want you to perish they want you to have everlasting life and the way people get it is they hear this message and they take it in Has there been a moment in your life, somewhere in this world, has there been a moment in your life when you personally trusted Christ as your Savior? I don't think the people would let us into the house, but I could take you to the house in South Philadelphia, just about 14 blocks south of City Hall, with its statue of Willie Penn on the top, just about 14 blocks south of there, and a row house called numbered 1304 south 15th street after a gospel meeting like this i went home with my family i went up to my room i shut the door i got down on my knees the bible was right there on the lamp table beside me i got down on my knees and i said to god i still remember what i said in fact i had a very remarkable experience Somebody sent me a letter that I had written 50 years ago. And they said, here's a copy of what you sent to my husband. And I was reading over what I said about that night. I got down on my knees and I I, I told God that I was going to hell and I didn't want to go there. Would he please show me how to be saved? It's a remarkable thing that I grew up hearing the gospel, listening to preaching like you heard at the beginning of the meeting, and yet I had no idea how to be saved. And God didn't have any obligation to answer my prayer that night. He could just have simply left me in my darkness. Somebody else would be preaching to you tonight. My life would have been gnarled and distorted and warped and twisted by sin. And I would have gone on in my sins to die and go to hell. But God answered. And before I could reach for the Bible... A verse I had learned as a child in Sunday school. You bringing your children to Sunday school, it's the best thing you can do for them. It's the best thing you can do. It's like when you're on an airplane. Remember what they say to you? In the unlikely event that oxygen will be needed, oxygen masks will fall. Please place it on your mouth first before helping your children. If you want to be a blessing to your children, you get Christ first. See? Just like putting the oxygen mask on. You make sure you're on the way to heaven and then you can show them how to be saved. Well, my parents were on the way to heaven and they drilled into my soul that no matter what I got in this world, if I died without Christ, I would lose everything. And that night a verse they taught me as a child flowed back into my mind. It's at the end of this John chapter three chapters. Here it is. He that believes on the son has everlasting life. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. Not he that believes on the Son will one day have everlasting life. Not he that believes on the Son perhaps can have everlasting life. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. And on that July night in 1966, as a helpless teenager, I saw for the first time in my life that salvation did not depend on me and on what I might do. It depended on Christ and what he had done. And God was saying that if I would believe on his son, God would give me everlasting life. I did what God said. I believed on his son. God did what he said. He gave me everlasting life. He's offering to do that for you tonight because I just read to you. Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's a man in um, Louisiana. I think he's still there. His name is T.P. Kelly. He was a former FBI agent. Now he, um, he's a private investigator. He specializes in finding people who are heirs. They have money coming to them, and they don't know it. So he is given the job of matching um, an inheritance And finding the people that go with that inheritance. He said that the the most difficult part of his job is convincing people that it's not a scam, that it's real. He said, the last man I had to find, he was inheriting $15,000. Well, when I told him about it, he wanted to run away from me. He thought it was some kind of con game I was playing on him. And he said, The most difficult part of my job is convincing them that this is not fraud. It's not a bad joke. It's real. God is not fooling you tonight. This is not a con game. It's not fraud. God is offering you everlasting life as a gift. If you will trust his son as your savior. He's telling you in absolute honesty, reject his son and there's no hope. Because that other word kicks in here, that word perish. But he's telling you that it, you will not perish and you will have everlasting life. If you will trust his son. So that brings me to this fourth point. This audience, you and the Lord Jesus. Jesus. See, you have been kind enough to listen to me, and I, I know that you were listening to my brother David as he preached. But actually what is happening tonight is the Lord Jesus is being presented to you. And where you'll be forever depends on what you do with him. And so every gospel meeting tries to direct the attention of an audience to the Lord Jesus. Because believing on him or not believing on him makes the difference between heaven and hell, not your religion, not whether you have been baptized, not how nice a person you are. He that believes on the son has everlasting life. He that does not believe the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That is Bible teaching. So now if believing on him, trusting Christ, accepting Christ, receiving Christ makes the difference for a soul between hell and heaven, what will you do with him today? A number of years ago, on that famous Kostalnyk, the night of broken glass, there was a Jewish man named Leon Visser. A Czech tailor was a friend of his, a friend, a tailor named Navratel. And Leon Visser said to his friend, if the Nazis come for me, could I hide in your apartment? And the man said, but if they find you, they would take me as well. And he said, if they find me, if they come and search your apartment and they find me, I will tell them you didn't know anything about it. But may I, may I do that? And that's what happened. On that night, when they were just taking the adult males... They came to the housing area where Leon Visser lived, and they began to take the men from each of the apartments. Leon Visser hoofed it upstairs to his friend's apartment and hid, and then made the mistake of coming out too soon. One soldier had stayed behind in the shadows, and when he saw a door open and a man come out, he arrested him. Brought him down outside. When he, Mr. Visser says when he got outside... There was a line of men by twos. There was a soldier at the head of the line. There was a soldier in the middle of the line. There was a soldier near the end of the line. And he had been placed last. And they began to march down the street. They were going to be heading for a death camp. They got almost to the corner and the line started to snake around the corner. And all of a sudden, Leon Visser realized There's nobody behind me, and the guard was ahead of him. There were a flight of stairs leading down to a um, dry cleaning place, and Leon Visser, instead of walking around the corner, walked down the stairs. He walked in and he said to the man, is my wife here? Of course she wasn't, is my wife here? No, he said. Well, I will just sit here, he said, and wait. He said, I sat sat down. I thought any moment the door will open and they'll come back in for me. And they never came. He went on to live. He survived the war. His family survived the war. What made the difference? He could simply have gone on. That was the fate that was decided for him. He could simply have gone on. Stay in line. Go on. Be gassed. But there was a door there. See, there was a door that he could walk through. And if he took that, it would make all the difference between death and life. You can leave here tonight, and you can imagine that, that all you heard was of no more importance than the weather in Auckland, New Zealand, as far as you're concerned. Or tonight you could realize the God of heaven who loves you, who gave his son to die for you, is offering you everlasting life. And if you take it, you'll be in heaven forever. If you take him, if you trust him, he'll deliver you from your sins. He'll give you a life that's worth living. And he'll take you to heaven where you die. And as one man said who heard the gospel, what's not to like? What's not to like? Being saved from sin, being saved from hell, being saved from losing your soul. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I hope you will leave this tent tonight having, having,